Hey, Kitty. Hi, Ben. So what are we going to talk about today? We are going to revisit a topic that we've talked about a few times, the topic of word embeddings, because when we've talked about them before, they're really cool. They're really interesting. They're definitely worth knowing about. Mm-hmm. But there have been some suspicions lately of biases that could get encoded in them. And it turns out the picture around that is a little bit complicated and definitely interesting. And we should talk about it. That sounds good. You are listening to Linear Digressions. So, Ben, why don't you start us off with just a quick recap of what you recall about when we've talked about word embeddings a couple times in the past? Yeah, um, I... Okay. I hope I won't embarrass myself here. <laughs> um, I remember when we talked about word embeddings before, uh, I guess what I remember is it's trying to tr- figure out what the relationship is is between different words. Let's say you're analyzing uh, a piece of language, let's say an English string or a book or some sort of uh, text corpus, and you're trying to understand how the words relate to each other in order to derive meaning from the work. So you're not just analyzing the individual words one at a time, you're trying to figure out what may be the the meaning that's underneath it. Yeah, I think you got pretty close. It's At the core of it, even a little simpler than that, which is that you're starting out with a bunch of words and you need to figure out some way of turning them into numbers effectively because machine learning algorithms operate on numbers. So a word embedding, yeah, a word embedding or in other cases, depending on the method a little bit, sometimes it's called vectorization, whatever, kind of depends on the details here. Uh, But it's the idea of how do you take words and turn them into numbers. (laughs) Yeah, so it's the idea of taking data points out of this high dimensional space, which is usually how we think of words because there are many, many words in in the language and some of those words have multiple meanings and they can be nuanced and all those sort of things. So it's very high dimensional, but you need to embed it into usually some lower dimensional space that's capturing latent features that are within those words. So to give a quick example, if you have a word embedding that's working well, then maybe you end up with something like in the lower dimensional embedded space, dog, cat, gerbil, hamster, parakeet, goldfish, maybe these words all end up relatively close by to each other. And that that corresponds to like, because they're kind of similar. And yeah, they're all pets. And you they occur in the yeah, same I guess context. we assume that that's why. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So there have been a few times that we've talked about word embeddings here in the past. We talked about word to vec a while ago. And then a little bit more recently, we talked about Glove and BERT and some of these more kind of generation two embedding schemes. Yeah. One of the things that I do remember is um, actually the specific example I remember is that it kind of uncovered some bias that we might have in our society or in in our uh, literature or writings in general. I remember the example that came up was there was like man is to king as woman is to queen or something like that. And then there was also man is to doctor as woman is to nurse, which felt a little bit weirder to hear about. Yeah. So most people wouldn't be super uncomfortable with that first example. Um, but right. yeah, in the word to vec case in particular, this was called out as they did sort of this analogies test. And, and the exact example that you just gave man is to doctor as woman is to nurse that was one of the results that was reported around that that algorithm and what it was producing with the implication here being that, of course, 
algorithms themselves are not inherently biased one way or another. They're just algorithms. But because you're feeding them with a, a corpus of data that comes from the real world, that the biases that maybe we have as people or as a society get reproduced inside of these algorithms and that we need to be cognizant of that. We need to be careful of it because we would like to minimize the extent to which you know, we are signing ourselves up. We are reifying or perpetuating the biases that we have in our society through algorithms. Oddly enough to, to I guess, take the word, the, the concept of bias here to uh, another level. I remember when I heard about that result, it, it was, it was, it was a bummer to hear about like, okay, yeah, we're biased, but it wasn't surprising to me. Like I thought, oh yeah, okay. I, I know that we're biased. And so I guess I just kind of assumed that it was true. At the same time, I guess with scientific results and, and with uh, these kinds of results, you want to take each individual study with a grain of salt and maybe wait for uh, it to be reproduced or um, studied more so that way you can look at the bigger picture. So that brings us to what we're going to talk about today, which is that uh, there's a group of researchers who have done dug back into some of those more sensational results, some of the ones that seemed like the most biased, and have explored them a little bit, and I think found some places where the story is a little bit more complicated. So first, I want to thank these folks for actually reaching out to, to me directly a few weeks ago. This result is really interesting and cool. So this is Malvina Nissim, Rick Van Nord, and Rob Vandergroot. I hope I said those mostly correctly. Uh, title of the paper is Fair is Better Than Sensational. Man is to doctor as woman is to doctor. So there's maybe a little bit of a hint. Man is to doctor as woman is to doctor. Yeah. So a little more. Yeah. Um, it's, it's no longer man is to doctor as woman is to nurse. So let me tell you a little bit about what these folks did. So they went back to that analogies task that we've been using as an example here. And they dug into the original source code for Word2Vec and realized that there's a there's a constraint in the analogies task that's actually pretty important. And that constraint is that you're not allowed to repeat any of the words in the analogy. So in general, they'll feed in the first three words of the analogy to the, the algorithm and then ask for the best word that gets returned as the fourth word. And the constraint is that fourth word cannot repeat any of the first three words that show up. Wait, so you're saying that maybe the way that they got to this result is they said, man, doctor, woman, but, and then the algorithm spat out nurse and everyone was like, oh my God, you know, our society is biased. This is proof of it. But you're saying that the algorithm could not have responded with doctor. Correct. Yeah, not in the original result. So if what the algorithm had returned was doctor, then they wouldn't return that. It would just go and to the second result. Well, yeah, it's, it's even a little bit more complicated than, than that. So huh. first of all, uh, there's, a, there's some good examples in this paper of why there are plenty of perfectly reasonable analogies where you would want to be able to repeat a term. So let's just start with that premise that something like if you want to give something that can demonstrate professional gender parity between men and women in the in the medical sciences, then doctor and doctor. That that seems like sort of a valid answer that could be returned. And in, there are a lot of other good examples here where you might want to be able to return the same word twice. So there was 
an example, maybe like dog is to animal as cat is to blank. Mm, yeah. Totally valid there to say animal, right? <laughs> yeah. So, and there's, it looks like there's a pretty understandable reason why this constraint is in place, which is that when they removed this constraint, the quality of the answers that were returned by the algorithm uh, seemed to drop somewhat. So they have a quantification of a bunch of different types of analogy tasks and the quality of the responses that they get from that. And so when the algorithm is allowed to return, most often the, the second word in the analogy, it will try to return as the fourth, but of course, be any of the words. Um, it tends to return that second word actually a whole heck of a lot. So I I suspect that maybe what was happening was there were a whole lot of analogies where it was just returning the second term over and over and over again. Paris is to France as Tokyo is to France. Paris is to France as London is to France. Um, Paris is to France as Moscow is to France. So just over and over and over again. And so you can see that's, that's not a super high quality of analogy, but for some reason, those were the kinds of ruts that it seemed like the algorithm was getting stuck in. So that I'm, I'm doing a little bit of reconstructionist history here. Of course, I wasn't there when they introduced this constraint, but the evidence suggests that when you remove it, the quality of the analogies drops overall. So it's not, it's not necessarily like, I don't think we could presume that it was maliciously introduced or anything like that. It's, it's interesting when you say the quality of the results dropped. I wonder, I wonder what that means. Because like, if, if you're saying, okay, here's a bunch of analogies, what's the quality of these analogies? And you ask me, like, I'm a human, I'm going to say, okay, these, uh, these analogies are, are nonsense. Like, it's just comparing every city to France. There may, though, be an underlying pattern that is represented in the data. And so it's not, while it's not representing, sorry, while, while it's not returning a satisfying analogy, it may be returning it's it's returning something like i guess i guess what i'm saying is like who's to say what the what quality means in this case yeah i guess that's true there's another good point that they make more towards the end of the paper in a slightly different section though which is that kind of along that same line of logic you would expect that hopefully high quality analogies they don't change a lot with minor perturbations that you make to the inputs. So they give a good example where there's this famous example of programmer as one of the professions that you might use. And they're like, what happens if you swap out programmer for computer programmer, right? Which we usually think of as basically the same thing, but in a, in a semantic sense, right? Like if someone describes themselves to you when you first meet them as a programmer versus a computer programmer, you think of the same thing. And if the if the algorithm is really picking up on this latent trait of programmeriness, then hopefully it settles on kind of the same representation for those two um, for those two words as well. But they find that in some cases it's pretty unstable with respect to what seem like minor changes like that. So the answers that you get back for programmer look pretty different than for computer programmer in ways that nobody quite understands, which makes us which makes me like a little bit suspicious of the algorithm under the hood in that sense. But anyway, that's a digression. So point is, introduce a constraint on the analogies that bumps up the quality of the responses that you get. They're certainly much more interesting because it's much less likely now to just repeat part of the analogy back to you. But it introduces this problem in some of the more socially hot button analogies that it's doing, 
where you're no longer allowed to say something like man is to doctor as woman is to doctor. Right. I um I wonder what would have happened if they ran woman is to doctor as man is to what with that constraint that the word can't be repeated. That's a really good question and I'm not sure that I saw that. But there's another there's another part that if I understand it correctly is also a little bit has me scratching my head. So, it wasn't just that you aren't allowed to return the exact same word. There was also a distance constraint or like a threshold on the word that was allowed to be returned. So it wasn't even allowed to be a word that was too close to any other word in the analogy. Yeah. So let me give you an example again from doctor. When you do this analogy task, you can set it up so that it doesn't just return one word, but it'll return like a stack ranked list of words, maybe like the top 10. So number one would be presumably the algorithm's first choice, but two would be literally the second choice as a plausible alternative, three would be the one after that, and so on down. So presumably it would take the second choice. So for this woman is to doctor thing, maybe doctor is the first word that it returns and you say, I'm not going to use doctor. But then the second word that it returns in some of the examples that, that these researchers did was it would return like gynecologist, which actually seems like a very reasonable thing to say. <laughs> um, but, you know, apparently it seems that gynecologist and doctor are too close to each other in the the latent space. So they also struck out gynecologist. They go to the third thing on the list, which is nurse. Take nurse. You know, number four is surgeon. Number five is physician. Number six is whatever. Uh, so there's a little bit of when you're starting to do things like set these thresholds that you can basically tune to get any answer that you want out of the algorithm, because just depending on where you put the threshold, you can say for any answer that it might give back, like, no, that's too close, or okay, I'll take it. You end up being able to basically cherry pick the answer that you want, yeah, which is a little bit troubling, especially thinking about the sensationalism that got attached to to some of these results a little bit. Like, you know, were these genuine results that the algorithm was really returning or was there to some extent humans that were looking at a number of different options that the algorithm was returning and picking one that maybe was the most loaded answer that of of the 10 or so options volunteered by the algorithm this is the one that's really going to push some buttons interesting yes interesting okay so in terms of bias in terms of societal bias i guess all of this work does not say anything about whether we are biased, but this most recent work, but it is kind of saying we shouldn't trust this previous research that indicates that we are biased because that isn't necessarily good evidence of it. We may still be biased as a, I, I, I would, I would wager a guess that we're still biased as a society, but, um, this is not evidence necessarily good evidence of that. Yeah, I think that's a good way of capturing it. It doesn't mean that, yes, everything is total gender equity or whatever. There's also good examples of this for race and presumably others, too, that either have been done or that we could probably think of. But it does mean that, number one, when there are these kind of sensationalistic results, it's good to every once in a while get a reality check that the details on these things matter. The results can depend a lot on the details. And so a healthy skepticism is, of course, something that just can't have enough of. And that in this particular case, yeah, it it doesn't prove that society is perfectly egalitarian, but 
it does say like, look, there are some problems with using this particular result to reach this particular conclusion. We still think that there's probably a lot of work that needs to be done here and probably some places where word embeddings aren't perfect. But this particular result, you should be maybe a little bit more skeptical in the way you think about this particular result than some of the the early interpretations led people to believe. Okay, so I guess I guess what we learned in this episode is take not really um, particularly sensationalist headlines with a, a nice healthy grain of salt, and uh, maybe also pay attention if you're interested in the particular thing to uh, work that happens later on in terms of reproducibility and 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 such. Yeah, I think that's good. And again, a special thanks to the folks in this research group for reaching out directly to tell me about this. Um, super cool and always happy to have a chance to go back and take a second pass of something and like layer on the additional context that we get because we've been going for quite a while at this point. So it's always fun to kind of go back to something that we've talked about a couple times and see how it's developing and changing. And of course, you know, hats off for uh, a pretty interesting result and one that's worth putting out there to talk about. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.